Good morning, Chapel Hill. It's great to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us in person. Good to have you, those of you who are worshiping online. I'm Mark Toon. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm really delighted to welcome you to a very special Sunday. We have a lot of exciting stuff to cover this morning, so let's dive in. You might want to pull out your Bible or your Bible app. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. As a, a reminder, uh, if you've been following along in, in this series with us, you know that Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, was really to address the division in the congregation. They were a very schismatic group, and it was his heart's desire to bring the congregation back together. So that was his primary purpose for writing. But now we discover in chapter 8 that he had a secondary purpose as well, and here's what it was. The Jerusalem, and particularly the mother church in Jerusalem, was in a season of great crisis. There, uh, there, this was for at least a couple of reasons. First of all, there had been a horrible famine that had struck the region of Judea. That included Jerusalem. So everyone was stricken by this time of real deprivation. On top of that, though, the fledgling Christian church was being persecuted we see that in the book of Acts, as again and again, our church fathers and mothers were being persecuted for what they believed about Jesus, and in some cases, they were being martyred. And so you have famine, and on top of that, persecution. And so the mother church, the origin of the Christian faith, it was under a great attack. And so Paul, as he turns out, had two purposes for uh, his missionary journeys that went out into the area we now call Turkey and, in, and into Greece. His first mission, uh, missionary purpose, of course, was to proclaim the gospel of Christ, to tell the amazing story of the coming of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection uh, for the world who had not yet heard about this. But it turns out that he had a second reason for doing it as well. And that was that he intended to take up a collection from all of these other churches that were less stricken so that they might continue to care for the church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the home of Christian faith. And we discover this from different parts of his writings and his letters. For instance, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 16. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints... Uh, I, as I directed to you, the, to the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. So apparently, the Corinthians had committed to be a part of this relief effort for Jerusalem. And Paul is just giving them some practical tips, tips that are good for us, frankly. If you want to give something, well, then set aside a little bit every week in order to do it. And so that's what he's suggesting. Uh, and so, uh, but then in 2 Corinthians, uh, he returns to this topic. In the beginning of chapter 8, he uh, mentions how generous the Macedonians have been. Now, the Macedonians would have been the Thessalonians, the Philippians, and the Bereans, so a, a region. And he's bragging on the Macedonians and telling how generous they had been, which was especially remarkable, for they too were experiencing a time of real affliction. So let's dive into our text for the morning, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, to get started. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I've been doing this ministry thing for a long time, over 30 years, and I can tell you there have not a lot, been a lot of times when people have come to me and begged me to, give, to take an offering. Pastor Mark, I'm just begging you, please, will you give me the chance to write the big check? Oh, if you must. Once in, a half, once in a while, but not very often has it happened. But that's how Paul describes these awesome Macedonians. And you, you know what he's doing, of course, as he's telling the Corinthians about what the Macedonians are doing. He's stirring up a little competition, a little inner church competition. He's saying, look, the Macedonians who are in way worse shape than you, Corinthians, they're giving generously to the relief of Jerusalem. How about you join in? He continues in verse 6. He says, accordingly, we urged Titus. Titus was the leader who was, uh, that Paul was sending back to be in charge of the Corinthian church when he wasn't present. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and in all our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. In other words, Paul is saying here, you have a lot of wonderful spiritual attributes. You, you have a lot of knowledge. You're very articulate, very earnest. That's wonderful. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to add to that list of attributes generosity. I want you to be generous followers of Jesus. And then he continues, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I love the way that Paul talks about generosity. He describes it as an act of grace. That's his description of giving. It is an act of grace. Grace, of course, is that which we do not deserve, that which is given generously and freely out of the goodness of the heart of the giver. And he said this this is an act of grace. It is not something that we have to do. In fact, he makes that very clear when he goes on to say, I say this not as a command. He says, I'm not commanding you to give because it's pointless. True Christian generosity can never be compelled. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be commanded. True Christian generosity, true Christian giving arises out of a heart, a heart of gratitude. And in this case, he describes the reason we should be grateful. Gratitude for the fact that Jesus, who had everything, gave it all up and became poor for our sakes so that we might become rich in everything that matters. This is really the foundation of Christian giving. This is why we give, the core of it. Because God gave His Son for us. Because Jesus gave up everything to come to us. How then can we respond with anything other than generosity? If you're not a generous person, you probably don't understand the depth of God's contribution to you in your life and your salvation. Then Paul concludes with these words. You, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. I love that. Sometimes we give, and then our desire follows our giving. Sometimes we pledge, and they say, you know what? I'm, coming, I'm falling in love with this thing. He said, not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, he says, now finish doing it as well. 
In other words, Paul is saying, you know, a year ago, you, you turned in a pledge card. You made a commitment. You said you're going to help this Jerusalem church, and that's all wonderful. Now I'm asking you to finish what you started. I'm asking you to finish well. Paul, in this passage, is really doing two things. First of all, he is bragging very publicly on the generosity of the Macedonians, and he is urging the Corinthian folks to finish what they started. And it is the perfect text for this moment in our life as a church, a perfect text for this morning, because I want to do both of those things uh, for you. First of all, I, I want to brag on you, my sweetheart church, and then I want to urge you to finish well. As you know, uh, I'm a brand new grandpa, and so I suspect I'm going to be doing a lot of bragging in that role, in that capacity. The good news is I've had a lot of practice because I have been your pastor for more than 30 years. And in my 30 years of being your pastor, I've had good reason again and again and again to brag on you, to give thanks to you and about you to others, my sweetheart church. You've given me lots of reasons to brag. And this morning, I want to do a little more bragging. We're going to take a trip down memory lane. The longer you've been here, the more of this stuff will sound familiar. Uh, there might be some who are guests with us this morning, and it will be all new to you, which is way okay, because I want you to just sit back, just listen in, because this, if you're thinking about becoming a part of this church, you ought to know this about our legacy. You ought to know this about our heart. We are generous people, and we love to respond to the call of God. So that's what we're going to be talking about, and I, I know you're going to be enthused by the end of this morning. Uh, and this is going to be a little audience participation. So here we go. And this is the crowd I'm going to count on, especially for these earlier dates. Who was here May 31st, 1992 for the ribbon cutting of our new gymnasium? How many? Raise your hands nice and high. I see about 10 of you, maybe. Uh, as you all know, we needed a, a, a larger sanctuary, didn't we? The chapel just didn't cut it. We were already worshiping three times. We were talking about a fourth time. But here's something else that we knew about the, in 1992. The, the community had a greater need than that, than our be becoming more comfortable in our worshiping together. At that time in 1992, as hard as it is to believe, there was no place for kids to play outside of the school system. There was no YMCA. There was no Boys and Girls Club. There was no skate park. I think there was one park at the time. One park. I got a former council member who's saying, yes, one park. There, there was really nothing for the community. And your church parents and grandparents decided that they, the need for kids' space trumped our need for a more commodious sanctuary. And so we built a gym. The first thing we built here was a gym and some classroom space for kids and families. We raised some money. We took on a mortgage. And we got started because the need was great. And then we had faith that others would follow us who would help to pay off that debt. Who was here on November 23rd? Almost, uh, it'll be celebrating that next week. November 23rd, 1997, for the opening, the ribbon cutting of this building, the sanctuary. Who was here for that? Not very many more than uh, raised their hands earlier, which, isn't that wonderful? All of you have come since then, so thank God for that. But we knew we needed this new sanctuary, so we built it. It seated 1,500 it was the largest Presbyterian worship space in the state. We certainly didn't need that much at the time, but we believed that God was going to continue to grow us. But again, it was about a heart for our community because at that time and to this day, there was no place in Gig Harbor for large community events 
for graduation services, for baccalaureate services, for concerts of any sort. And so we built a bigger sanctuary than we needed so that we could share that with our community. And we have, again and again and again, down through the ages. We raised some more money. We took on a larger mortgage. And we got started because the need was great and because we had faith that others would come who would help us pay off that debt. All right. How many were here on July 31st, 2005, for the ribbon cutting of our gathering place in our youth center? All right, a few more of you, but still not that many. Again, we needed a place for fellowship. Uh, there was no place in Gig Harbor, there still isn't, where there, you could seat more than 400 people for a meal. And so we built the gathering place, and again, we shared it with our community. We raised some more money. We took on another and larger mortgage. And again, we got started because the need was great and because we had faith that others would come along who would help us pay down that debt. That was the heritage. That was the history of our building programs here. And I want to just share the numbers with you. Those of you who like numbers, you'll be fascinated. Others of you, you might glaze over for the next paragraph, so brace yourself. But in total, over those years, we invested almost $16 million in new buildings plus $1.3 million in acquiring land. We went from 10 acres to 35 acres, to 37 and a half acres, actually. And that was a total of more than $17 million of improvements, which would serve our church, but also which served our community and our region. And of that $17 million, your church parents and grandparents and some of you who raised your hands, I suspect, we paid off $8 million of that. And we took on, at a high point, a mortgage of $9 million, which was costing us $581,000 a year to service. And then we made plans to finish paying off that debt, too. That was our dream all along. We worked the plan. Here's the deal. When we went to the experts, they said, this is going to be the hardest campaign you have ever run. Paying off debt is, quote, not sexy, unquote. They said, in the end... You have nothing to show for it. You don't have a new building. You don't have a, a ribbon cutting. You don't have new land or improvements in your facility. So you need to prepare yourself, Chapel Hill. Debt reduction is the hardest kind of money raised in the church. But your elders felt differently. Your elders believed differently. Your elders said, let's focus on the good that we could do with those mortgage dollars. The impact that we could have if every year we invested a half a million dollars in serving our region rather than paying a bank. It was Pastor Ellis who came up with the theme that really took hold, beyond these walls. That became our dream. Beyond these walls, what would it be if we could redirect $500,000 or so a year, every year beyond these walls? And so on June 4th, 2017, three and a half years ago, we put that vision before you and we prayed and we held our breath. We didn't have to wait long. Two weeks later, you pledged more than $5.4 million to finish up the work of debt reduction. And it was the first time in all of our campaigns that we had ever actually hit our campaign goal. The first time. And I still remember opening that, that envelope. I, I'll bet some of you were here for that. How many were here for that? I remember it was one of the proudest moments of, of my life. I was so proud of you, so proud to be the pastor of a sweetheart church whose heart was so great for those beyond these walls. That was a, that was a moment. Here's the thing, though. 
It's one thing to pledge. It's another thing to fulfill the pledge. And so we waited and we watched and see if your ability would match your enthusiasm. And we watched as you paid off the first million, and then as you paid off the second million, and then as you paid off the third million, and then as you paid off the fourth million, and it was going great. And then came COVID. And with the plummeting economy, we were pretty sure that beyond these walls would hit a wall. And we could not have been more wrong. Even though we were locked down, and who knows, we might be heading back there. Even though we couldn't meet in person for months, you just kept keeping your promise. You just kept giving. And that brings us to this moment. So would you like to hear where we stand as of today? I would love to share that with you. So just as a reminder, we took on $9 million in debt. I'm waiting for the, there we go. Nine million bucks. There, uh, 5.5 million dollars remained uh, three years ago, and a year ago we were down to 1.2 million dollars. As of today, the total remaining debt is 380 thousand dollars. You know what this tells me? This tells me you are a crazy bunch of Macedonians. That's what this tells me. You have been giving to this vision that is focused not on our needs, but is focused on the needs of the people and, and the region around us. And when we pay off that last $380,000, the money that used to be used to pay a mortgage, we will be redirecting that beyond these walls in ways that we have never done before. Here's how it's going to work. Our mortgage debt, at the high point when we were $9 bucks, it represented a 15% of our annual budget, just servicing that mortgage. And so when we paid off the last of that debt, your session, your elders have voted to allocate 15% of our annual budget to Beyond These Walls initiatives every year, every year, every year. And remember, you ain't heard nothing yet because remember, we also already give 10% of, of everything we take goes to mission, which means that when Beyond These Walls is complete, we will be investing 25% of every dollar we receive every year into ministries that go beyond these walls. So that's a lot of money every year. Let me give you just a taste of what that will look like. When that debt is gone, we are going to fulfill a $25,000 pledge that we made to the YMCA for their work with under-resourced students on the Cape on the Cape Peninsula. You might have read about that in the newspaper this week. When that debt is gone, we're going to fulfill a $75,000 pledge to the Logos Indonesian Church, which Pastor Bill McDonald is pastoring. They had $250,000 saved up in their building fund. And when they left our former denomination, the denomination took that money away from them. When the debt is gone, we're going to fulfill a $100,000 pledge campaign uh, pledge to the Fish Food Bank for the new building that they are going to construct. When that debt is gone, we are going to fulfill a $150,000 commitment that we are making to the rescue mission for the life-transforming work that they are doing. And that is just a sample of what we are going to be doing year after year after year after year. And that's in addition to the way we already support them financially and to the thousands of hours that you Chapel Hill folks put in in the support of these great ministries. 
A Beyond These Walls team has been formed. It's going to work with the session to strategically invest these monies so that we can unleash a wave of generosity for generations to come that we hope will bless our region for a long, long time. And all of this is possible because of your, your incredible generosity. So I want to thank you. You have given like a bunch of Macedonians. 750 families have participated in this, large gifts and small. You defied the experts, and I love it when we do that. You gave not because of what you would receive, but because of the way you would bless others. As Paul put it, your giving, this act of grace, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And so, my dear sweetheart church, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is my first message to you this day. And here's my second, as Paul urged the Corinthians, finish well. Finish well. We are almost there. Let's finish well. Many of you have not yet finished your own pledge. I know that Cindy and I, we wrote our last check last week for our last portion of our Beyond These Walls pledge, in part because I knew I was preaching this sermon this week, (laughs) and I wanted to be able to say I've done that. And I urge you to join Cindy and me in finishing well. We've only got 380000 left and uh, out of a $9 million of debt. It's amazing. And the good news is we have more than enough outstanding pledges to meet that need. More than enough if you will just finish well. There are many of you that are new to us even since beyond these walls. You haven't yet participated. Here's the good news. It's not too late for you to have fun. And who knows, it could be the the check that you write, the generous one-time gift, will be the one that pushes us over the finish line. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? So we are going to provide a QR code and a link that you can go, whichever is easiest for you. And I would invite you to participate. Join with your brothers and sisters to be able to say this is part of the legacy that you participated in. Here's our dream. One of the latest. Here's the latest dream. We believe that based upon the continued generosity of this congregation, we believe that we can pay this off by the end of December, 30, this, this December, six weeks from now, we think we can have this paid off. And if we do that, then January 3rd, the first Sunday of the new year, we are going to party like crazy. It will be the first Sunday of 2021, and who will not be happy to put 2020 in the rearview mirror? <laughs> It will also be the celebration of a fresh start for as a, as a congregation because for the first time in 30 years, we will be debt-free. It will also be the chance for us to celebrate new members that are going to be coming in, uh, celebrate the baptisms that we are going to share that day. It's going to be a great day. That is our dream. That is our dream, January 3rd. And so I hope that excites you. It is, certainly excites me. It, this is, a, this is a, a dream that I've had in my heart since the day that we took out that first note for the gymnasium, I think it was a $1.2 million mortgage that we took out. We took that note out, and I have dreamed ever since of what it would be like to be a part of a church that was debt-free and able to give ourselves away as we've never done before. And it, in, over those 30 years, we, we built and we gave and we prayed for people to show up, people like you who would finish the work that we felt called to begin to begin. And now the wonderful news to you here and to you online is you're here. You crazy Macedonians, you are the answer to our prayers for the last three decades. 
And all I can do is say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Would you join me in just thanking God with a round of applause to the Lord for the good things that he has done. And join me in prayer. Lord, these are sermons that preachers love to be able to preach, to be able to stand up and tell his congregation what a, what a generous group they are, how crazy generous they have been, and how what they are doing is going to be freeing up resources that we will invest in our cities, in our region, and, and f- as far afield as we, as we can for generations to come. The difference that this will make because we were obedient to you. And so we thank you for this call. We thank you for the call to invest in facilities that would bless not only our church, but our community and will continue to do so, especially in a season when it's hard to come together. And we are reminded of the power of coming together and grateful that we have a place to do it. And so, Lord, we praise you for that, for that vision that that drove our church fathers and, and mothers, many of whom have gone on to be with you. I, I, I thank you for their courage and their vision and their generosity. And I thank you for the faith that believed there would come another generation after them who would finish the work that they had begun, who would carry the baton across the finish line. Lord, we have the privilege of being that generation. And so I pray that you will inspire us in this final lap, this bell lap, to give generously, to finish what we have committed to do so that we can celebrate come January 3rd as we have never partied before. Lord, this is what we ask you to do, to really continue doing, and we thank you so much for your generosity, your, your grace toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.